Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The most important issue in all the world is who is the Messiah? His identity, what he said, and of course, what he did. And I'm speaking about Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. And the best place for us to turn to in order to answer these questions, to understand both the person and the work of Messiah Yeshua is the New Covenant, especially in the four Gospels. And I'm speaking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, you may not know this, but the names of those Gospels, usually we think the names tell us who wrote them, and that may be. But you need to know that these four names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are tradition, meaning they didn't sign. We do not have any written account of who wrote the four Gospels. And why is that? Because it's really not important who wrote them, but what is said within them. Now, we have gone through every New Testament book. If you go to our various platforms, you will find all New Testament books already there. The last one that we are going to be doing to complete the entire New Testament is the one that we're beginning right now. And I'm speaking of the Gospel of Luke. This Gospel of Luke speaks about salvation, and hear this, salvation for the world. We all know what John says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world. Now, Luke, many people think the one who wrote this gospel was not Jewish. It doesn't matter to me what his background is. God uses all people from different backgrounds. But I will say this to you. When you study the book of Luke, whoever wrote it was an individual that knew a great deal, and he'll this, hear this, a great deal about Judaism. We're going to see that in the first two chapters. He speaks about some things that he had great knowledge of that, in my opinion, only a Jewish man would know. We also know the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 when he says, what advantage is there in being Jewish? Well, if you go to that second verse, he says this, the oracles of God, that is scripture, was entrusted to the Jewish people. Again, who wrote it? It really doesn't matter. What is important is this. When we look at the entire New Testament, and of course the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, what's important is it was fully and perfectly inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired men of God to write this down, the Word of God, Scripture, without any error. It is without any mistake so that we have the pure teaching, the pure revelation of God. 
Well, with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to that book that we're beginning today, The Gospel According to Luke. Now, as I said, Luke wrote with an agenda. He wanted to present Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, as the Messiah of the world. But it's very important that we see how this unfolded and what we read according to the author's desire. So let's begin. Look with me, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1, when he says, Inasmuch as many, so many individuals wanted to reveal things concerning the work of Messiah, the identity of Messiah, God's plan. But here we have one man's account, but there's something unique. That is something very important about it that we'll see in a moment. Inasmuch as many have undertaken. Now that phrase, undertaken, is an idiom. It comes of, of two words, the word for hand and upon. It's an idiom which means to put your hand upon, which shows commitment and involvement that one is undertaking. One is beginning a work, an assignment. So he says here, and as much as many have undertaken to set in order a narrative. Now that word means a, a declaration. One who's telling an account. So he's putting forth a narrative. And notice what it says. Concerning the things which have been fulfilled among us. Now the word that I translate and so too many other Bibles. The things that have been fulfilled among us. The term, the things. What you need to know is that this is the Greek word, pragma. Pragma is something that is in accordance with a logical, a, a foundational relationship to what is being said. And what he's saying is this. His gospel is very pragmatic. That is, when you know what the rest of Scripture, and I'm speaking primarily of the Old Testament, what the Old Testament says concerning God's purposes, God's plan, prophecy, what God's going to do, well, this is very pragmatic, meaning it fulfills it, it answers the questions, it reveals to us what we should expect knowing what the Old Testament said. So we're going to see a direct relationship between prophetic truth, the purposes, the plans of God, the objective of God, and what Luke has revealed to us. Secondly, it says, look now to verse 2, just as they delivered, these things were delivered to us, and who's us? Pay very close attention. The ones from the beginning. So he's speaking about disciples. When he says the ones, the ones from the beginning, they were eyewitnesses and servants they became of the word so Luke he is a eyewitness of these things and he becomes a servant of the word now what he's speaking about is God's revelation he has become a servant one who is committed to reporting in an eyewitness account God's revelation to humanity that came through one individual, the one who is fully God and fully man, 
Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. And notice what else he says concerning this. Verse 3. It seemed also to me who followed after, and the implication is who followed after these things. He says, it seemed also to me the one who followed after, and then there's a phrase. Most Bibles don't emphasize the importance of this. And this is a very important word, anophen. Now, this is the same word that we see elsewhere in the scripture. For example, in John chapter 3, where it says, you must be born again. Sometimes people take that same word and speak of being born from above. What does it speak of? Well, when one is born again, there's something that is new. You become a new creation, specifically a kingdom creation. And that's why oftentimes it's translated not just being born again, but born from above, meaning that there is a heavenly change, a heavenly work going on in that person. And what Luke is saying here is this, that he's followed closely after these things, being an eyewitness, a servant to the revelation, wanting to give the people the truth. And his account is from above. It is a reference to the fact that he's not just writing in a human way, but there is heavenly involvement. That is, the Holy Spirit has inspired him perfectly to write these things down. And he says all, all that he has followed after and written down, he says he's done so carefully in order to set in order for you, he says, to write to put these things in order, writing them down. Then he says, oh, excellent Theophilus. Now, this is an individual, and that term, whether it's speaking about an individual per se or its type of a term, that word Theophilus is one who is a lover of God. And in my opinion, this is who he's writing to, one who loves God, one who wants to know the truth of God, one who wants to submit out of love, submit to the will of God. This is his purpose. And he is an eyewitness, he is a servant, he is committed to this, and he's doing so with a heavenly involvement, meaning that the Holy Spirit is guiding him as he writes down this revelation perfectly, carefully, as we have been told. Look now to verse 4. In order that, that you should know concerning that which you have been instructed of the word. Now, we see that this term, the word, appears several times. And it's a term that speaks of God's revelation. He's saying to the, the one who's reading it, you've been instructed concerning the word, and now I'm going to set down in an orderly way carefully what this one the messiah has done what he has said and what are the implications of his his life his ministry in this world those three three and a half years that messiah served after being baptized what does this mean for humanity this is his objective and he goes on to say that uh I'm writing these things down to you, O most excellent Theophilus, 
in order that you should know concerning what you've been taught of the world and of the word and you do so how with certainty now that is an important phrase at the end of of this verse verse 4 with certainty what he's writing down we can be assured of is truth it is inspired from heaven by means of the holy spirit that we might know the revelation of god now look at verse 5 it came about in the days of herod the king of judea what's important to know is that many times when one writes down a historical account they want to know the timing and biblically we see the king is oftentimes mentioned so that we have the setting the timing when it was written down when these things took place and here what we're finding is that herod was the king of judah he mentions the king of judah from an israeli standpoint the land and what's going on in the land is important because god works in this land this land is inherently related to the purposes of god that plan of god that redemptive work of god and then also judah is important as that allotment of land given to judah for a purpose that this was the tribe that was connected to the messiah we see this going back to genesis 49 10. so all of this is setting the stage look again at verse 5 and it came about in the days of herod the king of judea and notice the next thing a priest is mentioned why is that important well a priest is a mediator between man and God and what this is saying is this God is at work there's going to be a mediation that is there's going to be a work done that brings about a relationship between man and God and a priest the Hebrew word Kohen was an individual set apart for that purpose to mediate a relationship between man and God so when we read this this is this foundational element of the gospel that gospel is good news about redemption and it's the redemptive work of God that brings about this reconciliation this 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 coming together between man and God that always going back early on into the Torah into the earliest books of the Bible we see that God had this objective so look again we read here that in the days of Herod the king of Judea there was a certain priest named Zachariah which means God remembers now names are important in the Bible and what we see here is for a foundation for a setting we are being told that God remembers that word zahar it's a hebrew word to remember this word always speaks whenever it's mentioned it should have a covenantal context meaning this god is remembering his covenantal promises and god is going to move through this one that we're going to meet later on in our study this savior this messiah this anointed one the christ 
He is going to work in order to fulfill his covenantal purpose. And this is why Zachariah is named. Look again. A certain priest named Zacharias from the, the rotation of Aviah. Now, this rotation, the Hebrew term mishmeret, the priest, we know that there were 24 orders or rotations of the priests. And the rotations were known by a priest's name. 24 families of priests that served in a rotation. And we find that, that Zachariah or Zacharias, we find that he was of the rotation of Aviah. And this is important because it has a connection with redemption. We won't go into that at this time, but notice something else. Not only was he a priest, but it says his wife that he, he took was also from the daughters of Aaron. What does that tell us? This man was very serious about God. He was from the lineage of the tribe of Levite from the family of Aaron and therefore the priestly call was upon him being a descendant of Aaron and he took a wife that also was from that same family. This is preferred, is it an obligation? No, it is not. But it shows the most serious priests, the ones who were most committed to their, their call, they would marry a woman from that same lineage. That she was brought up with that same understanding of what it meant to run a priestly household. All the, the strictness, the limitations, she grew up with that. That was her norm. And therefore, because he wanted to be serious to that call of being a priest, he married such a woman. And notice what it says. And, and the name of hers was Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a, a Greek rendering of the Hebrew term Elisheva. And this speaks about the God, my God is of an oath. Now, the word oath is related to the promise. And what we find here is that he married a woman who his name refers to a commitment to the promise of God. In other words, what we're learning is that these two individuals, Zachariah or Zacharias in English, and also Elizabeth, his wife, these were serious individuals that were committed to the things of God. And it was not by accident that they were chosen, and we're going to see this in a moment, that they were chosen in regard to the beginning of God's redemptive work. Well, continue on. We are told, look now to verse 6. But, now this is how it should be translated, but. This shows a conjunction of, of a difference. And what do I mean by that? Well, there were many priests, but, but this family was unique. This conjunction is being used to show that, that this is a unique family, different from most. And notice why that is. But they were righteous, both of them. Now, this term righteous, the term righteous is related to the kingdom of God. You say, well, where's that taught in the Bible? Very simply, in Matthew chapter 6, 
Messiah commands us, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Righteousness is the chief adjective that describes the kingdom of God. So when it says both of them were righteous, both of them had a kingdom commitment. They understood that this world was temporary and that God was going to bring about reconciliation for his people in order that they might become a kingdom people, that they would realize that this world is not where it's at, but there's something better. There's coming a time of restoration and the priesthood. There would be a priest. And of course, this priest was going to be from a different lineage, not from the tribe of Levite or from the household of Aaron, but a different priestly order. The book of Hebrews speaks about this from Melchizedek, Melchizedek, and that he was going to bring about a better outcome of a greater covenant, not the law of Moses, but that covenant of Abraham, which would become the new covenant, a covenant of redemption. And notice what it says. Both of these were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord and how were they doing it? The scripture says, blamelessly. Meaning this, doesn't say that they were perfect, but any time that they erred, they would go to what the word of God reveals in order to, to set things proper, to make that, that correction, to, to offer up that sacrifice. They were, in other words, very serious about the things of God. Now let's just pause for a moment. And ask ourselves a question do we have such a commitment are we that serious about the things of God if you were to ask me what is one of the things that lack among many believers today it would be a seriousness in regard to the Word of God the instructions of God in other words we tend to be way too casual in the things of God God wants a serious, committed people that are very sensitive to his instructions and wanting to apply them to our life. So we read here that these two individuals, Elizabeth the wife and Zachariah the husband, both having a priestly commitment, both coming from the priestly family, they were righteous and lived according to the instructions of God in a blameless manner, meaning whenever they might fail, they turned to the instructions of God to put things back in order. Look now to, to verse, verse 7. Now, they were committed people, righteous people, people that were committed to the things of God, but notice what it says in verse 7 there was something lacking in their life, something that was extremely important to them. And what was that? Look at verse 7. And there was not to them a child. They were childless. Childless. Now, what does that mean? They were obedient. They were committed, but they did not have a child. There was something missing. And this gives us a very important hermeneutical clue in regard to the gospel. See, we need to realize, left to ourselves, 
without experiencing the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the righteousness of God, the redemption of God, there's something seriously missing in our life. And only God is able to bring about that change, to bring about what is missing in our lives to produce that healing. And we're going to see how important this is later on to Elizabeth. But look again, verse 7. And there was not to them a child. Why? Because Elizabeth was barren. Now, notice when we talk about Sarah and we talk about some of the, the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, one of the things we know is that they were barren. Rivka, that is Rebecca, for many years she couldn't become pregnant. And it wasn't until Yitzchak prayed for her that that changed. And the message is this, there's something lacking, but God, with God, all things are possible. And God is going to move in this family, in this husband and wife, to show that he is a God of change, a righteous change. What is lacking, God is able to produce in order that there be a proper outcome, a result that is in accordance with his will. So we read, because of Elizabeth, she was barren. And both of them, both of them were well advanced in their days. They were. Now here again, many Bibles don't translate this last word in verse 7, which makes it emphatic. What God is saying is that they were both well advanced in years. They were, that additional they were is very important. It shows that they were old and there would not be an expectation of Elizabeth conceiving. She is an old woman. She has passed that time. She has been barren and because of her age, there should be no expectation that that was going to change. But God, despite when the world has no expectation, the world doesn't see this as coming about, God is able to make a change. God is able to restore. God is able to provide what is lacking. And this is what the Gospel of Luke is emphasizing. What Luke is telling us is to get ready because God is going to do something. God is going to confirm his supernaturalness. He is a miraculous God and he is going to begin to show that through this one family. God so frequently begins something great with just one person or one family. And God is going to show with the birth of a child, and we'll come to that next week, with that birth of the child, how God is able to give life and life abundantly. God is faithful. So we are setting out today on a wonderful adventure, understanding a heavenly account of the person and the work of Messiah, that we might perceive the nature of God, the purposes of God, and how the will of God can become a reality for us. See, this is what Luke is going to teach us, and my hope is this, that we're excited for Luke's revelation. 
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.